Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble or bumble like a Greg of Brian Gumble. Standing on the ground, flat feet first. Killing worms and charts, and I'm doing it on my terms. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punched, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up high. And Jeremy LaBelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and TikTok. They just call me the mouth of the South. And alongside of me once again is the catastrophe queen, the Claims Dame herself, Miss Jessica Odell, and the dazzlingly dedicated the deliciously delightful, the one, the only baby cakes, Miss Donna LaBelle. How is everybody doing? Good. Fantastic. Doing good. It's not bad for a Wednesday. We're actually recording on a Wednesday. So actually the day that you're hearing it come out <laughs> is the actual day of the week that we're recording. So yep. I'm excited about that. Yep, yep, yep. What it's weird is going on in the world? Enlighten us, baby cakes. Tell me things I don't already know. Well, this you do already know because we both freaked out about it. So, Tony Basil, the girl that sang Mickey, yeah, she is eighty years old as of last weekend. She's <gasps> happy birthday to Miss Tony Basil. I cannot, I, I cannot believe that she's eighty. Oh, Tony, you're so old. Just never mind. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, she's eighty. So that song came out. 40 years ago. Ugh. Wow. This yeah. makes me feel really old. Another fun fact is that the theme from the Rumble was recorded 30 years ago. Oh, really? good grief. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Uh-huh. The the, uh, the Rumble was actually recorded. Tell them, tell them about why that's significant. Oh, it's my brother's band from the 90s when he was when he was in college. Name of the band is called Basex. Basex. And uh, the actual, what is the actual name of the Rumble theme song? Um, another hit. Another hit. So if you, uh, oh, you some of that funky shit. <laughs> <laughs> if if you want to hear what the whole song sounds like, um, let us know. Is it available on iTunes or it's not? Nope, not anymore. You'd have to you'd have to call us and ask us for it so that you can add that to your workout playlist. Or you can buy it from my brother, and I will find out. He'll send you a CD. There you I'll go. Find out. Yeah. Information. Um. So another fun fact is. Um, Samuel L. Jackson was a cheerleader in college. What? <laughs> that is insane. So I can just picture them doing their pyramid, making a big M and F. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's in your wallet? <laughs> Say what again? Say <laughs> what? He looked like a What's in your Emma, Emma F and wallet? <laughs> So, Did you guys get to see that that commercial before it actually got pulled down? No. Yes, I did. I did actually see that one. Yeah, my 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 teenage son showed it to me. Believe it or not. Did I see that? I don't know. I, maybe I'm not sure. I think I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know if it only lasted like a week, but I I I think I saw it twice, and then all of a sudden it was gone. You never saw I it again. Always, I always think that when I hear it, like when I hear him say, "What's in your wallet?" I think that. So I'm not sure if I actually heard that or not. Man, I, I don't think that there is a more anyone that is more prolific at profanity <laughs> right. than our good friend. Yeah. And it makes sense. He was a cheerleader. <laughs> the, prof- the the prolifically profane Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> 
So the oldest known advertisement is over 5,000 years old. It was an advertisement for a sale of a slave named Shem in ancient Egypt. So they were having a BOGO sale, and they advertised it. A buy one, get one? <laughs> wow. I don't know. It was 5,000 years ago. 5,000 years ago, the oldest advertisement known to man was for slaves. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. The the first TV commercial aired on July 1st, 1941. What was the commercial? It was for um, Bolova Watches. Bolova Watches. Really? They're still around today. Are they? Yeah. They're still Um, around today. They're like a high-end watch. They're kind of like a... I mean, people will argue with me, but they're of the caliber of like Tag, Tag Your, you know, they're, they're high-end watches, ah. Breitling, that kind of thing. So this will be interesting to us in the claims industry. Every, let's see, about 2,000 rainstorms occur on Earth every minute. No wonder wow. we have so many claims. Yep. God. <laughs> so it's, it's not just five o'clock somewhere. It's also raining. It's always raining somewhere. Now you know, and knowing is half the bullshit. Thank you so very much, guys. We got an incredible show for you today. It is going to be coming to you in three rounds. As always, when you hear this sound, you know that the round has begun. And when you hear this sound, you know that the round is over. Now, it is not Jess and I that are in the rumble, but it is you each and every day. And we're just providing the commentary. We try to bring things that we deal with daily, and we hope you're dealing with them, too. As always, if you have any questions or concerns, please drop them in the comments below, and we will do our best to get you the answer that you're looking for. But we're going to dive into this, and it gets started. Round one gets started right after this. Public adjusters, listen up. It's Jeremy Lavelle, owner of Remedy Claims Consulting, host of the Rumble, and most importantly, your claims coach. Public adjuster training is one of the hardest things to find. Sure, you can take some online seminars, you can show up to conferences, but none of them tailor training just for you until now. Whether you need to learn how to estimate, scope, negotiate, or prospect, I can help you drill down on the skills you want to develop. Maybe you're just starting out and you need to learn the claims process from a to Z, or you're just wanting to help are you just wanting help on strategy on a specific claim? I can help you find the traction you were looking for and learn how to truly control the narrative in the ever-changing world of claims. You can reach out to me directly at 888-596-8772, or you can find me on the web at remedyclaims.com and just click get started. That's 888-596-8772 or remedyclaims.com and click get started. You can even shoot me an email at jeremy at remedyclaims.com. That's J-E-R-O-M-Y at remedyclaims.com. It's time to move your career to the next level. Round one, first-hand documentation. So I guess the name of the show is really kind of how we're putting all of the stuff together. It's really more about the claim investigation and all of the different things that we have. And in our previous episode, Jess, we discussed kind of how to conduct that initial inspection. And I, w- I want to say that the initial inspection is really your firsthand documentation. That's what you're going out there to get, whether it's photographs or, or, or moisture readings, you're going to do some moisture mapping. Those, I mean, whatever it is that you're doing, you're getting these firsthand documentations. One of the things that we talked about in round one of the last episode was the interview 
That is firsthand documentation. You are getting firsthand knowledge of what happens. The only eyewitness account oftentimes that you would have, and I hate that phrase oftentimes, often the only firsthand account is, is, is in that, is in that insured interview. So firsthand documentation is key. What are some of the things that you're getting and gathering when you go about, um, you know, a claim walking through the door, that firsthand documentation, what do you think is key, Jess? Uh, I, well, I love water losses. That's that's just my my. Ding, 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 I, ding, ding. Oh, I love water losses. Okay, so in a water loss, I would say there's three. So you've got just your your average or, or your standard photo damage type report that you're putting together. So all the photographs, you know, back at home station when you're going through your photos. I don't know. I go an extra step. I actually annotate every one of my photos. I put arrows. I put lines. I put dots. I put whatever. Occasionally, I'll put some text, but most of the times, I'll put uh, like some kind of comment or description of what's in that photo off to the right. Because I used my applause button when you said that. I annotate every photo. Every photo. Every single one. I love that. Even if it's just an overview photo, I will put next to it in the comments, overview photo only. If there's no damage in here, it was to say no damage overview of living room. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Exactly. Or, yeah. or I'll put if even if there's no damage, I'll put no damage found at time of inspection. You know, I'd always put the caveat at time of inspection. I'm not saying there's no damage. I'm just saying at time of inspection, it was was unable to just, anyway. So photos, right? That's that is a report. Um, next, I'll do an annotated floor plan again. It's mostly for water losses. Um, yeah, you can like do it that. for fire, but you you just pull in a floor plan. You know your your ESX sketch, um, your docu sketch, your Matterport, whatever. Pull in your floor plan, and I'll mark. You know walls that need a two foot flood cut, a wall that has damage. You know I'll do a separate color for the damage to a ceiling. I'll do a separate color for damage to floor. And I'll put a little legend on it, and it's just a map, and it helps provide an overview of what happened. It tells it tells a story visually of what happened in the home. So that's the second type of documentation I provide, and then third, uh, and I only do it because I finally did go get uh, certified as a thermographer level one. But I do include a an infrared report, infrared imagery. That is. I, you know, I think that that is really, really key. You know, all of those things I think are good. I, I want to, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, even from the last episode, and you'll probably hear us refer to the last episode a lot, <laughs> because a lot of what you, where you're getting this stuff, this firsthand documentation comes from your inspection and how diligent you've been with that. There's a lot of different tools out there that help you with this firsthand documentation, uh, like the Matterport DocuSketch iGuide thing, um, the Axis that's also made by Matterport. Those things help you, you know, kind of even catch things. I can't tell you the number of times when I use a tool like that, that I catch things that I would, that I actually missed. I was like, what is that spot on the ceiling that I didn't see when I was there and looked right at it? Right. You know, that kind of, those sorts of things happen for me a lot too. And, yeah, uh, so those, those are definitely my, my go-to firsthand at a minimum. I try to provide at least those three. Um, one of the things that I think is really important in your firsthand documentation, um, Jess actually uses a tool. I actually do it old school and just sit down and type it out. But um, a written narrative of what the results of your investigation were. And, you know, we'll get into this more in round two. 
but kind of your reasoning for bringing in what is not considered firsthand documentation, but when you start leaning into expert documentation, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. My firsthand, a lot of my firsthand documentation is also going to include coverages. My, my understanding of the policy, because what I'm, one of the things I definitely document is, is there coverage? You know, and why I believe that coverage exists for this for this particular specific loss, you know, right. um, uh, you know, Jess said that she likes water losses, you know, and that you've got a question sometimes is that and I and carriers get into this all the time. I get into this with carriers constantly is you might have a pipe that's been leaking. And then it take and it may have been leaking for more than two weeks. Okay, because the policy says something along the lines, uh, damage that has occurred over a period of weeks, months, or years, right? And so two weeks, 14 days, or 15 days is the minimum number of days actually required to achieve the plural weeks. Um, and so <laughs> once they achieve the plural weeks, they like to go, well, that thing's been leaking for a long time. You can see down here on um, the framing or you can see here on the, you know, this erosion, this thing's been leaking for a long time. And I was like, yeah, it may have been. And that thing may have been leaking forever. And for whatever reason, something happened, something shifted. But now the interior has been affected and it's been damaged and this damage has not been occurring the damage has not been occurring for a period of weeks months or years the the leaking may have so if you find yourself where there is leaking that has occurred you might be questioning how long has the damage been there not so much the leaking and that's the thing that you've got to ascertain is how old is the damage because right. a lot of these things get discovered you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I have discovered mold that manifests from behind the dishwasher. They had no idea it was leaking. Now, if you've got a limited seepage and leakage endorsement, obviously that's going to be covered. The water damage itself is going to be covered. Um, and usually with limited seepage and leakage, the fungi endorsement kind of goes right alongside that. Do you find the same thing, Jess? Yes. Um, but it's still, I, I, Typically, anytime I come across any of those limited seepage, especially, oh, God, I saw one in Mississippi a while back. It was talking about even things like drips. So drips from an appliance or drips from somewhere. Well, so they denied the claim saying, oh, well, it's got it's got this exclusion or this endorsement or whatever in it. So, you know, we, we don't cover this. Look, look, it's right here in the policy. Well, I, I shot that over to an attorney and I'm like, but if it's in the wall cavity, and there's no way whatsoever that the insured would have known had they not had to open up the wall for something else, a, an unrelated. I mean, it, they just happened to find this. So they had to file another claim. Um, the attorney turned around and said, no, this, this, if it's in the wall cavity and it's not reasonable that an insured would ever have found out, it doesn't apply. So even you still, I, I would almost say <laughs> consulting with an attorney should be part of your first hand reporting or, or that phase, you know, as you're, as you're reading that policy. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's, I, I'm not even, I mean, a lot of times we get the phone call, we don't have the opportunity to get the policy in our hands and we're kind of operating under certain sure, ideas and, and, yeah. and understandings that, Hey, this could be covered. I have seen policies that cover this thing. Yeah. It could be covered. 
you know, um, generally there's, there's automatic exclusions that I'm thinking of like flood or do they have a flood policy? Did they buy a flood policy? Is this, you know, because you'll have a lot, I have dealt with claims that have been covered because when they called up and they submitted the FNOL, which is the first notice of loss, they would say, my kitchen is flooded. And the, the guy on the other end of the phone would go, we don't cover we flood. We don't cover flood. Yep. You know, and and so, well, they told me it was denied. Well, did they inspect it? No, they just said they wouldn't cover it. Oh, okay. Well, they can't do that, number one. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that happen. That happens all the time. Um, you know, you just use the wrong word because when the, and, yep. and, and, and I don't yep. expect insureds to know the dirty words of claims. You know what I mean? It doesn't match, um, uh, flood mold, all of these dirty words that all of us adjusters <laughs> and contractors have learned through painstaking learning processes just completely and totally stay away from. You know, it's and it's how we go about looking at these things. These firsthand documentations will be the difference on how this claim gets processed with the carrier. And so it's it's absolutely crucial because this is your first effort in how you're going to control the narrative of the claim, how you are going to basically push through the claim strategy. Because once you've determined this and you figured out the coverage or the or the provision within the policy that is going to extend coverage in this particular situation it is going to shape everything you do after that right it is going to tell you everything and so you go you take your documentations you look at it and you beeline back and get a hold of the policy and i'm going to tell you guys you don't always have to wait on the carrier okay i have gotten fed up with waiting on the carrier to send me a certified copy of the policy number one you don't really need a certified copy of the policy you just basically need to agree that this is what we're looking at certified only matters when you're in court other than that certified doesn't matter okay now you can ask for it i'm sure i can hear the rocks whizzing at my head right now if we're both <laughs> agreeing you know what policy are you looking at to effectuate coverage for this claim deny coverage of this claim i just want the document that you're using you know what i mean and if mm -hmm. we're both talking about the same document you're making coverage decisions on something other than a certified policy and you're sending me the same thing that you're looking at we're good right so i mean you don't necessarily have to wait on underwriting so the other so what i do is some people may i mean this day and age you can log into a portal most of the major carriers have some kind of portal that they can create a login for and download that policy you can also go to the insurance agent or broker that will have a copy of the policy that they sold them. And I don't care which carrier it is. Most of those agents will have it. Most people think when you ask them for their policy, they think you mean deck page. And there's a lot of information even on the deck page because it's going to tell you the endorsements from ordinance and law to um, um, from ordinance and law to God, I'm losing my train of thought. God dang it. From ordinance of law to uh, mold coverage to limited seepage and leakage to, um, you know, all of these different endorsements that you have that remember this endorsements do one of two things. They either give or they take away coverage. And the way you can tell whether or not they're either giving or taking away coverage is one key thing that you are going to find on the declarations page and that's if they charge premium for it if they charge premium it is an extension and expansion of coverage not a limitation 
So remember that because I have seen, I cannot tell you how many times when they have a $5,000 cap on water or a $5,000 cap on mold, they think the entire loss is going to be on that. When in fact, it just has to do with the remediation of it, you know, and everything else is covered under coverage A. So when they charge premium for it, there's an expansion. And so this is part of that firsthand documentation that you're gathering because it is going to determine how you develop a claim strategy moving forward all of its key yep and don't forget those cosmetic exclusions too metal roofs <laughs> right because i did kind of forget to mention in that last episode part of the inspections whenever i do a metal roof inspection and it's got a cosmetic exclusion get up there with a water bottle and video and photograph and prove that the water is not shedding off of the roof over those hail indentations. It's pooling. It's going to rust over time. It, it is not a cosmetic, you know, damage. It's functional. It cannot shed the water like it's originally designed to do. And the only way to prove that is with, with the photo or with a video and using just water out of a water bottle. You know, and a lot of those cosmetic exclusions can be defeated not from the top side of the roof, while Jess is absolutely 100% right. If it's pooling, that's a problem. But you, you, you win cosmetic exclusions not from the top side, but from the underside. And if you mm -hmm. listen to our previous episode, one of the things that Jess told everybody to do is go look at the underneath of a roof. And if you can get to that roof deck underneath and you can see those mm -hmm. dimples, in there if you put a microscope on it and they're not that expensive i'm not telling you to have some kind of equipment you can take a microscope photo of that of that hail nipple as opposed to a hell dent if you know what i'm saying and it can show and guys i'm going to tell you this there is a um there's a policy out there that is very common on marring and if you have one of these very inexpensive on there's a metal marring exclusion out there and if you have one of these very inexpensive uh, my, uh, micro cameras, microscopic mm -hmm. cameras. You can put it right there on that and you can show the breakdown of the metal because you, and then just go just to the right or just to the left of where that nipple is. And it shows that the metal is intact and this, and in this place, the metal's not intact. Oh, nice. It ceases to be, it ceases mm -hmm. to be cosmetic damage and absolutely turns in to functional damage at that point in time. One of the things I want to bring up in looking at the policy is there's a lot of it's becoming more and more poli uh, common that you have policies that are like less than replacement costs. Like they'll replace the material, but it may be with lesser or less expensive material. I've seen a couple of those run across run across my desk in the not so much in Texas, but I see some a lot up in the uh, in the other areas. Mid Atlantic is one area that I see quite a bit where you have these policies that come back and it's like, if you have five eighths inch, you know, sheetrock, but code is okay with half inch, they'll go back with a half inch rock on the, on the wall, you know? So there's some of those. So you always want to kind of check your policy to see if like kind and quality is a thing because not all policies have like kind and quality. Not all policies are indemnifying policies. Some of them, you've got to know what's up there. So that firsthand documentation is going to be key to claim strategy. All right. Any final thoughts on round one before I move on? Jess is nope. shaking her head. No, that all of you can see over your uh, speakers. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to get into round two because it starts right after this. 
One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two, expert documentation. Well, I'm here to tell you, while firsthand documentation is good, any more these days, I can tell you that the carrier is looking for anything that they can do to create some level of plausible deniability. And by show of hands or applause out there, how many of you guys working claims uh, has to deal with the engineer showing up and carrier expert? Yeah, yeah, I know. Most of us have to deal with it, too. Yeah, I get it. We all have to deal and combat the carrier looking for the plausible deniability, um, the plausible deniability, deniability card. So they'll send out an engineer. And so one of the things that we have to do before they have the chance is possibly if you know that you're going to run up against an engineer, the best way to beat an engineer from the carrier is have your engineer already go ahead and do it. So that is, I mean, and that's an expense. You know, the days of getting your claim handled for, for no money other than your deductible, those things are a, um, a thing of the past. But more common is you may have, you know, mold protocols. You may have asbestos protocols, lead paint, hazardous materials of many kinds. You have a lot of those that have to come in and you have to get documentation from those. What other experts do you use, Jess? Um, let's see. There's, there's always your environmental special the specialists your cmas that's your certified mold assessor they're the ones that come out they do the tape tests of the environment send it off to a lab come back with a report and they write a protocol uh, and that protocol usually gets handed over to an, a cmr or some kind of remediation or mitigation type company and they execute based on that protocol right. so uh you know again my love for water losses um Gosh, I mean, uh, I mean, everything else I kind of use at this point has just been third-party type stuff. Not so well, much. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, I mean, sometimes one of the so things like that I'm your hail traces and your like your reports, like stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you've got. I have also. There's one of the things that I'm doing. This is just sort of a trick, and I'm going to kind of open up Jeremy's playbook. Jeremy's control the narrative playbook a little bit for you guys. So get your pens and pencils out. I will often use because of the amount of roof denials that we have these days, they don't want to see a public adjuster right for a roof. They don't want to see a roofer right for a roof because that roofer, there's a conflict of interest. One of the things that I bring in experts for is so that I don't have that conflict of interest and they have zero interest and whatever the results are, they're just giving the results. They get paid the same, whether there's mold, whether there's not any mold, it doesn't make them any difference. Um, how are they doing? The one that I'd like to look at quite a bit is like air quality tests. How are they doing those these days? What's the, do you know the answer to that, Jess? I mean, because she's sort of IICRC guru here on the Rumble, our resident expert on that kind of stuff. So I mean, that's, 
primarily it's there's so many different methods i don't remember all of the different methods that they talked about in the cma course um, but there are lots of different methods but one of the ones that's most popular is just doing a tape test so going up and around window sills like places where particulates tend to go and then sit and settle um so those those are that's the most popular um i'm sure there are still people like you know taking samples um like especially for asbestos testing and, th and things yeah. like that that would be another you know professional you would bring in right is if you suspect asbestos but um no they're just there are many different methods some of them are quite expensive you can actually purchase for your home nowadays um, a little device it's like a canister looking device you can set it in the middle of say your kitchen or or wherever um, or or maybe a bedroom of someone who might be immunocompromised and it can measure all the particulates in the air tell you what they are and send that to your phone through an app you know they're not cheap but they do exist so yeah like i said there's there's many several different methods but the most popular right now is just is those tape tests um, that's, you know, and if I have got a water loss that I know has sat for any amount of time whatsoever, now generally, and I, and I, and I want to bring something up here. Black mold is a specific, what, when we say black mold, it is a specific strain or bloom of mold that can be any color. The bloom and the color of the mold is determined by what it flows, what the water flows through. What it's growing out of determines the color. So not all black microbial action exactly. is black mold. Right. Okay? Sometimes yeah, it's just... Not all mold is toxic. There right. are some toxic strains, but not all mold is toxic. Everybody thinks, I say, oh, I see black mold. It's toxic. Not necessarily. Yeah. That's that's and I we can probably thank the media for that naming it black mold. I know that's what we refer to it as. That is dangerous. Um, on occasion, it is black in color. I'm not saying that it isn't, but sometimes you know, just good old fashioned North American mildew is black too. You know, and mm -hmm. we take off all our clothes and get into the shower with it every day. You know, so. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> but now, but because it shows up on drywall, we get real nervous. But when it's in the grout of our of our shower, it doesn't bother us a bit. Um, those are those are things that you need to know, and that's why some of these third party investigative resources are important. I mean, just to throw a couple of out, if you're working on exterior claims, metallurgists are great to hold on to. Mm. I, I I I outsource to. Um, to some building experts, my good friend, good shout out there to uh, Jeremy Lansdowne and his brother um, do a really good job on doing some of those from, you know, having resources such as engineers and metallurgists. And, and I'll tell you the answer to every engineer report that comes back negative is not always just go get your own engineer to refute it. You know what I mean? So sometimes refuting that engineer's report from the carrier is not always the way to go about winning it. You have to go find specified true experts on things that that appear to be, um, you know, more accurate. I will tell you this, um, and this is probably more in more of a round three thing when we get into the unbiased documentation and I'm playing fast and loose with unbiased, I like to use these published reports like from Hague 
You know what I'm saying? Because uh -huh. I, I, I love pulling those out when Haig defines hail damage. And then I take, I lay the picture of hail, Haig <laughs> hail damage next to the hail damage that they're saying it's wear and tear. And I'm like, look, these are your guys. These are not my guys. I will often use where I can, you know, like when I'm dealing with contents claims, especially like electronics and things like that, I will try to find some of their preferred vendors to deal with it. Like, especially in fire and water losses, especially in content losses, you're going to have several experts come in from mm -hmm. textiles to art restoration, furniture restoration, these sorts of experts that come in, especially when it comes to making determinations on salvageability of some of these higher end stuff on some of this higher end stuff becomes <clears throat> becomes very difficult and you're going to want to know who those are. And I like using carrier people when I'm confident of what the answer will be. And when I'm asking them the question, I know that I'm getting different answers than when the carrier asked them the same question. And that's my favorite thing to do is go in and deal with the local franchise surf pro or whoever the case may be that they're not getting the job through the program or what have you. They're getting the job through, um, they're getting it's kind of like retail. Yeah, they're getting the job through me. And so I'm getting this answer and they're not subject to program guidelines. It's like, these are the guys you call. I use them all the time. Um, I know I know my good friend Jack Hanks uses a surf pro guy that's out of out of the Midwest to go in and do a lot of his projects for mitigation. I, his name slips on. I would say his name, but I know that he owns a surf pro franchise that just goes in and and when you can turn in a surf pro estimate when it's approved by all of your major carriers as somebody uh, right? who knows what they're doing it's hard to argue with that right? right i've actually had a carrier believe it or not go i i don't i mean nationwide electronics restoration company nationwide and they go well i don't find them to be very professional i was like well three million americans disagree with you so you know what i mean like they have always been okay as far as i know i have run into that when they when they try to refute those things so i like using some of these carrier vendors where where i absolutely can and if you want to know who those are there's a lot of companies like contractor connections bright serve um, innovation properties that will tell you who's on those lists of preferred contractors i like the uh, american society of civil engineering as well they post a lot of fantastic content on their website. They publish, you know, various scientific studies in, and they post them in various publications, engineering publications everywhere. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Google Scholar, but I used it in college a lot. That's where I learned that it existed. If Instead of using regular Google, because Google will just scour the internet, whether it's a blog or or a Facebook page or, or something, you know, much more substantial or legitimate. Uh, whereas Google Scholar will only scour official publications, official being from universities, from, you know, large organizations like, you know, the societies out there, the various societies of whatever. So if you want to find sources of information where, I mean, and there's tons of it out there, especially on roofing and the impacts that hail has to shingle roofs. There are many people that have conducted the studies and they, they publish it and you can find it on Google Scholar. Now, the only downside to Google Scholar, while the upside is that you're using scientific data that's been published, the only downside is you tend to have to spend about 30, 40, sometimes 80 bucks to get your hands on a copy. But once yeah. you have a copy, it's yours and you can use it for hundreds and hundreds of claims because they all want to argue the same stupid thing that has been scientifically disproven or, or you can back it oh. up, you know, and say, look, it's been scientifically proven. So, 
Well, and and that's and that's that's the interesting thing. And I really can't wait to get to round three. It's still a few minutes away, so guys, cool your jets. But I, you know, the the when we bring in experts, and I want and I want to bring this. This is my favorite. This is my favorite one. And I and I'm and I'm probably gonna get a little fired up here. So cue the Woo! theme music. Cue the theme music. I love how arrogant carriers and dare I say yes yes I'm going to say it public adjusters get when it comes to defending their estimate because and and, <laughs> I, and I've had carriers look at me and go well we just don't do it that way well with all due respect sir you don't do anything because you're not the one doing the work public adjusters listen up you're not the one doing the work because you're in most states legally banned from doing the work you are having to hire other people and one of the experts that you definitely want to talk to is the dude that's actually doing the work so we might want to get his opinion his thoughts his understanding on what it's going to take to fix this actual job yep and while you're great at Xactimate and I'm great at Xactimate and you know all of the different things about construction and you got ran over by a truck 40 years ago. So now you just want to mess up everything that everybody else wants to do. Let's actually talk to the guy that's going to do the work. Let's find out if the line item at, you know, eight or nine dollars a foot to install gutters is enough to compensate for the fact that this house is hanging off of a cliff. How are we going to get those? Is there going to be some extra labor that needs to be considered? Is there some extra safety considerations that we're going to have to look at? Let's talk to the guy that's going to do the work. And when a carrier or a public adjuster is trying to push their way and how they're wanting to do it and estimate it. And I'm going to tell you guys, you know, when a, when a, when a public adjuster goes, Oh no, we're going to have to tear all these bricks down. You know what I mean? And the contractor's going, yeah, no, we're not going to have to do that. We can pretty much <laughs> just pressure wash it and, you know, we can shim this up here and it's going to be fine. No, 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 no. I don't get to a hundred thousand dollars. If we shim it up, we got to tear all these bricks down. You know what I mean? And it's like, we've got a walls of Jericho, this thing, we've got to have all of this. And it's like, no, you don't mm -hmm. No, you don't. You know, and let's let's talk about it. Let's ask that contractor. Are you going to have a supervisor on site? Because if you're not going to have a supervisor on site, I'm damn sure not going to have it on my estimate. You know what I'm saying? And so Absolutely. we want to bring these experts in and they're not going to be proficient in Xactimate. It's your proficiency in Xactimate that is going to communicate the scope of what the contractor wants to do in the language that the carrier likes to read it in. Exactly. 100%. That's where your proficiency in Xactimate matters, you know, and how you put that claim together. Yep. You know, you're translating. Yeah, that's right. That's all you're doing. So you want to talk to that contractor to make sure, look, if the homeowner's dragging their feet and they don't really want to know if they're going to hire a contractor, or if she's going to get her brother-in-law, Bob, to do it or whatever the case may be, then yeah, that's where you're going to bring yours in and the contractor's not really available, but what you've got to do is if they've got a contractor, that's the guy that you want to work with and you want to listen to how he wants to do it. Now, contractors for you guys that are sitting there championing me when it comes how to run the claim and what supplements we're going to ask, you need to stay, stay in your lane and let us tell you what is and what isn't covered. 
That's the other thing. And so there is a full-on, very real collaboration that has to happen there. You've got two experts converging. And when you have these multiple experts converging, it's you, the public adjuster, that has got to figure out a way to tell that story so that it makes sense to everyone. That's what you're an expert at, the policy and telling the story that gets the claim covered and paid for appropriately. You can end the rant there. I think the Bells did a wonderful job, you know. So, um, Jess, did you have any thoughts? Because I pretty much ran away with the last five minutes of that round. So, I, I mean, go ahead and give me what you think on that if you want to. No, um, I just thought I thought the little hopefully it's some value add for folks out there is the use of Google Scholar because a lot of people don't know that that exists. That is a that is a really cool thing. In fact, I'm going to pull that up. Yep, like Google right Scholar. Now. You you can just just test it out. Just go to Google Scholar and type in "hail impact to asphalt single" and pull up the multitude of scientific facts. documentation facts. Yes, and I I read those and and I will use those as sources of information to help write my rebuttal, and I'll attach a copy. I mean, yeah, yeah. I paid for it, but I'll attach a copy. Well, yeah, you got to pay for the information. I mean, the information may it's just because you pay for the information doesn't make it biased in any kind of way. You know what I mean? That just means right. somebody's got something to sell. And oh no, I was thinking, you know, business owners out there might say, "Well, you paid for it. Why would you give the, the carrier a free copy?" Well, because well, it it backs up my 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 rebuttal or my document yeah. my my position. I didn't make this stuff up. Look, the engineers came up with this. Well, I mean, and so, I mean, to kind of kind of lean into that Google Scholar thing kind of falls into our next round really well. And so I'm just going to go ahead and jump into that. Round three starts right after this. When choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including free voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, in Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. You already have these pages. She'll optimize them for you as well call or message sally today if you want to get started you can reach her at 214-789-1651 again her name is sally brigance her number is 214-789-1651 and uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up when you send her a referral that signs up with her she'll credit your billing account Logos are also available, um, and she also offers a lead generation service in SEO, search engine optimization, where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-B, and you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E, and she can be reached once again at 214-789. One six five one.
round three, unbiased documentation, unbiased third-party documentation. So that Google Scholar thing, so let's kind of keep going with that. Basically, that's what I refer to as documentation that exists outside of the loss that supports what happened at this loss. It's like, not only is that what this is, lo and behold, it's happened before. So let's go take a look at what it looked like when it happened before. What a great idea. Let's go Mm -hmm. see if we can find something where there's some consistency to this damage and we can provide that to the carrier. Again, this is just giving the carrier the opportunity to do the right thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, and there's tons of these things. I think I think nearly every claim is going to have something like this in there. I'm going to just give you an example, a one-off example of documentation that's third-party that existed prior to any loss ever happening, and it would be available. How about your roof report, Eagle View, roof scope, whatever the case may be? That's documentation to prove how much, how you know, how many shingles you're going to need. Loss. Yeah, the mm-hmm. size of the loss going to help determine what that is. Um, you know, just throwing out. What do you use for weather reports, Jess? What are what are what are your favorites there? Um, I like Hail Strike. They offer three different levels of reporting. Um, the the Hail Strike Light report is fantastic because it gives you the address, the date of loss, but it also gives you pretty much the last two years, three years of data of of other hail claims, mm-hmm. and and it gives the size of the hail it fell at that at the address within a mile and within five miles, something like that. Is Whereas, that a subscription or is it a per report thing? You can do it per report. It's um, the, If you do the light version, which is the one I, I like the most, um, the basic one, or the, I think it's called basic, that's that's just at that address at that date of loss. Well, if you it typed in the wrong date of loss and you just went off of the carrier's date of loss and it was not the right date of loss, then you're SOL. You wouldn't know what the other hailstorms you know, were in that area. So I'd go ahead and pay, do the $45 one. Or you can do a subscription I forgot what it is per year, but there, there's a little bit of a discount for just, and then you get, um, I think it's unlimited or maybe it's just 10 reports. Either way, I, I like it the most. Um, like. There's a Verisk benchmark report that goes right through Verisk. So if you're in a big Xactimate user, you can use it. It's right through It's the whole, yeah. you know, the same suite of, of things all out right. there. It's all under yeah. Verisk. Mm, but when I pulled a Varus benchmark report, a hail trace report and a hail strike report all for the same three addresses, cause I really wanted to see the difference, you know, cause scientists, right? <laughs> you have a hypothesis, you want to test it. Um, I, I noticed that it, it didn't have all of the same, it didn't have all the hail dates on there. Like the other two did. So I just, I, I don't know why I don't know, you know, the reasoning behind any of that. So I just kind of, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I decided not to use it. I want to throw this out about hell reports. Most of the hell reports that you're getting are based on an algorithm and certain conditions. Right. Very few of them are firsthand, you know, firsthand knowledge of what, what hit. And I also want you to know that most of it is pulled off of radar. So, um, radar ceases to exist at about 400 feet. Okay. Once you get below 400 feet, that's where we get the phrase, I'm going to come in below the radar. Do you know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. radar, you know, so what you're getting at that level is very different than what's hitting the house. Could be bigger, could be smaller. 
Um, right. You know what your wind speeds and things like that are. Remember what your ground level wind speeds are very different than what your wind speeds are at 35 or 40 feet in the air, which is generally where they're taking wind speed valuations at. Okay. Right. Um, so you've got to remember that some of these reports need a significant amount of clarification on them. Okay. Um, again, I, I wax back to when I was talking about pulling the Hague reports, you know, um, I asked a carrier one time, I said, I tell you what, since you don't think any of my damage is hail, why don't you send me a picture of what you think hail is? Right. <laughs> and I'll just go take pictures of that. Um, we don't, we don't have anything like that. So how do you know I'm wrong? Right. Mm-hmm. How do you know I'm wrong? Because I'm sitting here. This is what I mean, because I used to work for the carrier, right? I was like, this is what we were taught hell looks like. So what is it about this particular thing that is that is what what is it that you're looking at that makes you think that it's not hail? And what is your guideline and your and your metric for determining what is and what isn't hail? Or I had that's a, a that's a real fun question to ask them. <laughs> I had one where we pulled the hail reports. There was the last hail that had fell at that address was May of last year. That So that was May of last year. Well, November of last year, this couple purchased this home. The home inspection report showed no hail damage to the roof. I confirmed it with the inspector. Yep, there was no hail on that roof. Okay, just wanted to verify. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. It's in black and white. Sent that into the carrier because the carrier was saying, no, this was the, the, the last hailstorm was last May, so it was outside of this policy period. I said, then how do you explain if they purchased the home in November of last year and they're reporting that hail fell March this year, my photos of April this year, there, there was, and then they, and I'm telling you, this roof was beat to hell with, with hail. Very easy to see, even from the ground. Right. So, you know, you send in a whole photo report. It, it's irrefutable. It's hail. Yeah. But they kept saying, but it, but it it had to have fallen last May. You're not looking at the home inspection report that clearly shows a beautiful, perfect roof. You idiot. Well, but the hail report doesn't say that hail fell. I'm not. Ugh! I'd love to get that guy in the deposition. It says, what was it made you think that there wasn't any hail on this roof? I looked it up on the Internet. Yeah. Oh, did you look at anything else that they provided? Well, I looked it up on the internet and my yeah. guidelines state that I look it up on the internet. I pull this report and if it's not on this report, well, did you happen to look what was actually on the roof as opposed to what was on your report? You know, and then at that point in time, are you looking for a plausible cause of loss because there's clearly damage that has occurred within the policy period? Are you looking for a plausible cause right now? Our plausible cause of loss is, is, is hail that happens physically present. That was not present before. Yeah. I mean, I I've sent, I've sent pictures of the homeowner with hailstones in their hand that has the date that happened to have the date of when the, the metadata showed the date of the photo being taken. And it was right. It was right there. And I, you know, the adjuster says that stuff can be manipulated. I was like, why do you think we're trying to manipulate it? Right. Right. Well, why don't you think to, I would? To what end? Think, yeah. To what end? You know, like you're, like you're still not going to show up to the house and do an inspection and see the hail damage yourself. 
Like, I mean, trust me, I don't want, I mean, look, if there's no hail on this roof and there wasn't hail on this roof or if it looked old, trust me, I'm going to be the first, first, die, first guy that climbs down my ladder and goes, yeah, this is, I mean, if you bought this house in November, the hail damage up there existed before. Now, I'm not saying that I can tell with any degree of pinpoint accuracy as to when it fell, but what I can tell you is that it's about a year old, which would have predated your purchase of this home and the, and you, you're going to want to go back to whoever had the coverage on it. And that's interesting facts that even if, if for some reason you just bought a house, you know what I mean? And, and hail damage was discovered either through a roof canvas or something like that, that coverage still exists. Premium was paid that, that insurance carrier owns that roof. And if you can get the previous owners to file a claim on it, it'll get paid and replaced. It's right. just a matter of, it's just a matter of doing the work. Public adjusters are handy in that regard finding and tracking down those people and getting that paid. Um, you know, another one that, uh, that I like to look up is when it comes to common construction. You know what I mean? These are third party. Um, when I first started learning to estimate Jess, I would go to YouTube huh. and figure out how a window gets installed. Right. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? I did and, that with a TPO roof. I, the first time I ever heard of TPO, I immediately went back to the office, pulled up YouTube because I'm a YouTube junkie and was like, okay, let me see what all I can learn. Teach me everything about a, a TPO roof. Yeah. The, how does this thing get installed? What's the process is going to be? Because it could certainly affect your general conditions, right? It may not be whether or not the roof is damaged that you're really arguing about. It's whether or not certain equipment or certain precautions need to be made to actually get this thing installed that affects the general c conditions of your estimate. Now, your contractor is often going to be able to answer that. But when the contractor says it, they love to say, well, no, that's not really, you know, let's do it cost incurred. It's like, but here's a video, here's this, here's all of this documentation yep. that shows that this is going to be required. You know what I'm saying? And so when we're gathering this stuff, there's a lot of this stuff and thank God for the internet, because I remember a time when we didn't have it. You know what I mean? That all of this information is at your fingertips. And so I spend a good amount of time when I'm preparing claim strategy and figuring out what's going on and what happened, especially when it comes to writing estimates, I'll do, I'll figure out what the common construction is. Is it common for them? You know, how did they replace a window? What, what's going on? What are the things that are needed? Like, for example, you know, um, you know, windows have to be retrofitted. You know what most people never put on their estimate ever is the foam that you have to put in because when you measure a window, it's actually going to be smaller than the True. original window you put Opening. in. Mm -hmm. Do you know what yep. I mean? So you're going to yep. have to find something. So you have to retrofit that window. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's difficult, but there's line items there that I know a lot of people leave off, you know, um, I can't tell you the number of estimates I looked at where they've removed and replaced the window. And I'm looking at a picture of the window and the window blinds are there. You know, and there's and they don't detach and reset the window blinds. Now, Xactimate doesn't cover it. You know, I mean, most of the guys are going to most people think that that's just included in the effort. And no, but nobody's itemizing that on the contractor invoice. But in order for Xactimate to be accurate, you have to right. include those things. Well, you know and, you know, mean? a lot of these guys are told, you know, we're not, we're not going to pay for that. We're not going to pay for that. And now they're being told that's included. That's included in the line item. It's included yeah. in the Hey, right. guess what? These contractors are getting smart. They're going to Xactimate classes. They know how to click on, you know, the item description and see what's included and what's excluded, by the way, and take a screenshot shot and send it to you. And I'd like, come on. And so I say all of that to know that, 
Xactimate actually has published white papers. Yeah. So you can pull white papers. You can pull that basically state that no, in no way is overhead and profit included in the line item. Margin is included in the line item, but overhead and profit is not included in the line item. You can show that in a components report. There's all different things that you yep. can do there. Another thing that I look at from third-party um, unbiased documentation is any bulletins from your from your commissioners of insurance. When they come out oh. and they make determinations, you can pull bulletins on it. You know what I mean? And what they consider to be legal or not legal. You know what I mean? And how they interpret what insurance is supposed to do. Now, they're not going to call out, but that can save you a little bit of time. Now, right. I know, you know, when you and sometimes it's not this one silver bullet thing that you pull together. It's the Hague documentation. It's the video. It's the it's the um, it's the, the the commissioner's bulletin. It's this white page. It's all of these things that point to your right. And all they have to point to is we don't do it that way. Well, and then you can reach out to your, you know, your local municipalities. They have letters as well. Um, I had to get one one time that said how many roofs or re-roofs were acceptable, you know, for the for the area of San Antonio. And they they wrote back and they said, well, we're going to have to get, get back to you in another week or so. We've actually never had this question come up. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> They ended I, up coming back and saying we we approved two re-roofs. I was like, oh crap! That just threw my rebuttal out the window. But uh, you know, at least it's documented somewhere now. Yeah, and I I ask desk adjusters all the time. I said, is it your intention to disprove this loss? Mm -hmm. Is that your intention? Are you under instructions to disprove this loss? You know what I mean. And so I just at least want to know what I'm up against. You know what right. I'm saying? And I'll ask that because the answer to that question is, is okay. You told me that you weren't intending on disproving this loss, but you've sent out an engineer to disprove it and you've refuted every piece of documentation that I've had. So it sounds to me like you don't want anything that points to the fact that this loss is legitimate. So you said, and what you said, this but by action you've done this and you've never really offered any sort of documentation to refute it other than your own word and guys any way you slice it that's a conflict of interest that is a conflict of interest of course they don't want to pay i know that's not what they're in the business to do but remember the documentation is what exposes their intention and that's why it's important. So whether you're dealing with firsthand documentation, expert documentation, the contractor's opinion and position and this unbiased pre-existing documentation that's out there literally at your fingertips, you know, um, and you also and I, and one of the things that I, I, I like to throw in there, all of this stuff is at your fingertips. One of the things that you also want to do is go look at any previous inspections that may have been filed with the city, any sort of previous claims, any sort of building permits that have been pulled onto that prior, because that'll answer a whole lot of questions for you as well. So, you know, whether right. or not claims have been filed previously, that kind of thing. So there's there's a lot of documentation out there. You just have to kind of think about uncovering it. The most important thing that I would leave you with as this round closes is don't assume anything. But most of all, don't assume what you're saying makes sense. <laughs> You have got to draw the dots really close together. Final thoughts, Jess? None. That was pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty pretty solid right there. Baby Cakes, you got anything for us? No. 
Well, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. If you have liked what you hear, please take a minute to press like and subscribe. And if you know somebody that needs to hear this information, take a moment and share it with your share it to your friends and share it on your pages so that we can uh, continue with doing this. We work very hard for you and if you've got any ideas or things that you want to hear on the next show or a show's coming up please don't hesitate to let us know because we're always interested in hearing from you the people but we will be back next week in the meantime stay ready so you don't have to get ready and we will see you on the next one I won't start it, but I damn sure will finish it.